Welcome to the Mortcast, brought to you by Blake Street Tavern, the big house on Blake. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Forest Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are all on, uh, they're always online at uh, bfwdenver.com. Snowing, finally, in Denver for what seems to be the first time in 900 years, and uh you know, once the snow kind of clears, maybe make your way down to the dairy block and get yourself some wine uh, if you feel safe. Or you can go to bfwdenver.com, book yourself a virtual wine tasting, wherein they kind of, they send you the stuff you need for that tasting event. And then you do a virtual, uh, kind of like a Zoom thing, where they have a professional, uh, usually James or his brother, kind of, kind of talk to you about the wines. Um and do participate in the tastings and stuff like that. It's actually pretty fun. It's very popular. Um, or you could always go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself a bottle, um, get that uh, uh, whiskey barrel finished uh, Red Zinfandel, which is really good. Or you could get the 2017 Cabernet or the Blake Street Bend or any sort of varietal that you want, including whites, rosés, uh, like I said, obviously reds, anything like that. They also got a bunch of swag at pfwdenver.com, or you can go book yourself a table. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at pfwdenver.com. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Uh, finally snowed, as I said in the ad read. Um, so I'm cozy inside, kind of talking to you about this first day of the new year, 2022. Hard to believe. Um, but uh, we got, we're greeted this morning with some sad news. Um, former Denver Broncos head coach Dan Reeves died. And I just kind of wanted to give you my thoughts about him as a coach, his era with the Denver Broncos, and how it's kind of been misremembered. And it's, uh, it's kind of weird that how it kind of reformed uh, in the mid-90s. And obviously it will, because the, Nuggets won, or the Broncos won a couple Super Bowls uh, in 97-98. And it kind of influenced the perception of the Reeves era in kind of an unfair way because of the way he left Denver. But on a personal story, it was 1987 or 88. I'm trying to remember. Um, it was 30, 34 years ago now, but um, I'm trying to remember. It was either 87 or 88. Um, my mother used to be or a corporate executive for a big restaurant chain. And she would fly out frequently. And uh, to say we made frequent trips to the uh, um, Stapleton Airport would be an understatement. Yes, that's how long ago this was. This is pre-DIA. Um, and, you know, it was we got used to the trek out, you know, Quebec. You know, I-70 to go back Quebec from Arvada to get to, get to uh, uh, Stapleton Airport to pick her up. Well, one time she arrived on a flight. She coincidentally arrived at the same time as the Denver Broncos. And um, we were there. My, I'm just sitting down. My mom's, you know, she comes off the plane, kind of talking to her. Right behind him is Dan Reeves. And uh, he's I just was signing a bunch of our autographs. It was, it was insane. 
And what happened was um, my mom just walked up to him and said, my son's a big fan. Uh, can you have your autograph? And she whipped out like a, uh, like a small piece of notebook paper, had lines on it. And Dan Reeves wrote to Jeff, um, you don't have to be scared to ask for an autograph. Dan Reeves. <laughs> and then he put the date under it. And it was interesting. And then he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder and all that stuff. I remember it vividly. Um, now, being a fan of a head coach, I wasn't necessarily that, but it was it was interesting to see uh, a coach like that. I mean, he was signing. He signed probably about five or ten autographs while we were there, and we were just there to pick up my mom from the airport because she was coming back from a business trip. And that was uh, it was just always stuck in my right. And he was really gracious about it. It was such a diametrically opposed vision of Dan Reeves as opposed to the ones that were painted of him at towards the end of his terror tenure in Denver. Um, my memory of him was he was extremely gracious and very, very uh, accommodating. And he has this reputation of being this fiery, extremely competitive coach, which I have no doubt he was. Um, because of his fractious relationship with his uh, erstwhile star quarterback and John John Elway, there was a there was this kind of this weird kind of dichotomy between this charming Southern man who had time for everyone and the guy who would get so angry on the sidelines you could see the vein pop out in his forehead. <laughs> it was such a contradiction when you think about it. But without a doubt, Dan Reeves was. Probably, <clears throat> he's certainly better than the coach he replaced. Uh, when Dan Reeves came in uh, in 1981, he was replacing Red Miller. Um, Red Miller was able to get the most out of John Ralston's uh, roster in the late 70s. Um, Ralston himself was not a good coach, but he was a hell of a GM. What happened when uh, Ralston uh, left was the Broncos lost a powerful GM who knew how to scout, knew how to get talent. Uh, Miller, for all his great qualities, was no GM, um, and he was more of a motivator. And this bore out as his tenure wore on after that 1977 magical first Super Bowl season, Miller's uh, prowess as a head coach was diminished because the talent was not quite there. The defense was still good under Joe, Joe Collier, but the just the the offensive talent was terrible. They couldn't really they couldn't really replace some players they lost. Uh, Craig Morton um, probably wrung all his remaining talent out in 1977 and was constantly injured. And that's where the Broncos were. And and Miller. Uh, was fired after an 8-8 eight and eight season in 1980. And Reeves came in from Dallas um, as a young coach. I believe he was 37 when he was hired. And came in and uh, immediately guided the Broncos to a 10-6 record uh, with Craig Morton as coach, as a, as a uh, quarterback, which was, which was amazing considering that was that very 
and I do mean very end of Morton's time as a quarterback in Denver. And by the time, you know, Morton and, uh, and uh, Reeves played together in Dallas uh, way, way, way back in the early 70s, and, you know, they already had that relationship, and it was probably one of the reasons Reeves came to Denver, but it just wasn't, you know, Morton was at the end by 1981. So, but he, they managed to coax 10 wins out of that team. Now, there was a strike-shortened year. The Broncos went 2-7, and seven, I believe, in the strike-shortened 1980s two-year. Uh, the following season, the uh, Reeves swung for the fences and got um, John Elway acquired via trade because Elway didn't want to play for Frank Cush in Baltimore for the Colts. And the Broncos, I don't remember what they traded, but it wasn't much. And they traded him to the Baltimore Colts Colts, uh, uh, for Elway. And that really set the course for the next 10 years of of, uh, Reeves' time in Denver. It was a up and down, uh, a lot of highs, some really weird lows. The relationship between Reeves and Elway was uh, uh, fractious. They did not see eye to eye. Uh, John Elway did release a very nice statement about Dan Reeves, um, which was good to see. Those two, and I think you could tell Elway post-retirement became a lot more appreciative of what Reeves gave him as a coach. Yes, he brought in Mike Shanahan in 1984, uh, the year after Elway's rookie season, to help with uh, be the quarterback coach and then eventually the offensive coordinator. And then, you know, Shanahan left and came back and he was fired and all that stuff. All that stuff is uh, quite well-worn through Broncos history. But we tend to focus on the negatives because the Broncos went to three Super Bowls. And the first, by all intents and purposes, that 1986 Broncos team wasn't tremendous. Um... But it came through some great fortune. And really, they had no business winning that championship game in 1986. Uh, The 1986 championship game against Cleveland. The odds were stacked against them. And really, if you want to boil it down, the crowning achievement of John Elway's entire career is that drive against the Browns. um, Which absolutely... Uh, is one of the most incredible things anyone's ever seen. Five minutes left in the game, 98 yards, and all the way down for a touchdown um, against an extremely cold and uh, atmosphere and a, a crowd that was going absolutely bonkers uh, in Cleveland. Um, the old, uh, the old uh, stadium in Cleveland was a hard place to play. Um, they threw stuff on the field. Dog bones, and uh, it's amazing that the Broncos were able to, to to do that drive. It's 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 still one of the more remarkable moments in NFL history. But that Broncos team wasn't tremendous, and they go to the Super Bowl in uh, Pasadena that year and managed to be leading the game ten to nine. And what people don't remember about that game is that the Broncos had several scoring opportunities. In the first half of that game. 
for all intents and purposes, the Broncos should have been up 20 to 9 going into halftime of that game. Uh, Clarence K dropped uh, a wide open touchdown off of his off of his hands. I'll never forget that. It's just burned into my brain. Clarence K drops this wide open touchdown off of his hands. And uh, Rich Carlos missed like three, two field goals in the first half. The fact that they were uh, only up 10, 10 to 9 was a bad omen. And then, of course, then the, the Giants scored 30 points in the second half. The Broncos scored 10. And it turned into a game that appeared to be a blowout that really wasn't. Um, that, that the Broncos had their opportunities in the first half of that game. And if the Broncos go up 30, excuse me, if the Broncos go up 20 to 9, um, that game looks different. That game looks completely different coming out of halftime. But the Broncos didn't do it. And Phil Simms completes all but two passes of the game. They get uh, uh, killed by the likes of Mark Bavaro and Phil McConkey. And it, the, the, the Broncos uh, end up losing the second Super Bowl of their time. The 87 team was better the next year. And it was a more talented offensive team. Ricky Natil came in, uh, brought in by Reeves, and that team was probably the second best of that era. Um, that that Broncos team had a oh, oh, oh a good enough defense, but a really great offense, as I remember. And they were the better team than the Washington Redskins. There was a reason the Broncos were favored. The only Super Bowl until the last one of Elway's uh, time, where the Broncos were favored. And it was, the Broncos were up 10 nothing, were rolling, and then in the second quarter, the Washington Redskins scored 35 points. And that team lost um, Jay Schrader, who was their, their quarterback. Uh, Doug Williams come in, comes in, and the Broncos, you could tell, did not scout for him. They were, had scouted for completely for Jay Schrader, and it became a blowout due to Timmy Smith rushing for 200 yards. Um, it was a bizarre collision of circumstances that, that doomed the Broncos in the second Super Bowl. Um, and it wasn't because they were an inferior team. It was because that Broncos that Broncos team was very, very good. That was the strike shortened year. Um, that's the 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 year they played replacement players, and it became um, I don't know, it became uh, something that got out of hand real quick in one quarter. The 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 Redskins scored seven points the rest of the game. In the entire second half, they scored seven points. The Broncos just didn't score again, and uh, it just it just was increasingly embarrassing. Well, then the next year they go eight and eight. That's when the uh, problems between Elway and Reeves starts getting into the public. Um, Eighty nine, they fires George, uh, Joe Collier, who had been there for twenty years, and replaces him with Wade Phillips, the son of Bum Phillips, and that defense was really. Really good. That was the best defense John Elway played with in the '80s, and they end up uh, going 12 and four. And 
getting to the Super Bowl and losing 55-10 to 10 to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Of the Super Bowls that the Broncos went to, that was the one where they had no chance. Um, that Niners team in 1989 was one of the best teams of all time. Uh, they had no chance. And in two of those games, the Broncos were out, kind of outmatched. The Giants one is up in the air. Uh, but definitely they were better than the, the Redskins, and that was the anomaly. But the, the, the one against the 49ers, it was just they had no chance. They had never had a chance from the start. And it really wasn't, and it really started to put the stain on the Reeves era right there. The Broncos go 5-11 and 11 in 1990. But in 1991, they put together another, uh, I think another 12-4 and four year. I think they went 11-5 and five in 89. 12-4 and four in uh, uh, 1991, and that's when Elway puts together that second drive game against the uh, um, the uh, New, uh, Houston Oilers. Uh, they make it to the AFC Championship game, hold the Buffalo Bills, the dominant Buffalo Bills offense, to three points. And wait, probably the crowning moment, other than the 2015 Super Bowl, of Wade Phillips's defensive coordinator career was that championship game against the uh, Buffalo Bills. And if Elway doesn't get hurt uh, in the second half, who knows what happens. The, the, the Broncos end up losing 10-7, to 7, um, and uh, history is unkind to Dan Reeves after that because the feud with Elway just absolutely exploded into the public. Uh, Reeves fired Mike Shanahan for uh, conspiring against him with Elway. And uh, then they just, Elway gets fired. And then that's when the big uh, Sports Illustrated uh, cover, which everyone remembers, with uh, Reeves saying, uh, grow up, and Elway saying, good riddance. Okay, that's when the feud got to its apex. But on the second half of this podcast, I will tell you how the uh, brief five years post-Reeves firing has influenced people's perceptions of Dan Reeves and how maybe we should do a reassessment as fans in Denver of what happened, what occurred, and maybe look a little more favorably on Dan Reeves. In 1993, Dan Reeves took a uh, Giants team that was old and at the end and had just gone through a couple of years with Ray Handley after uh, 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 Bill, Sar- Bill Parcells left uh, after the 90 Super Bowl. And uh, we're left adrift. Phil, Phil Sims was at the end. He had been uh, basically relegated to backup for Jeff Hostetler. And the just the, the 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 atmosphere was terrible. He gets to New York and they go eleven and five his debut season in New York. And they would have gone twelve and four if they hadn't lost a heartbreaking game against the uh Dallas Cowboys at the end of the season, sixteen to thirteen. And you're saying, Jeff, why do you remember that? You're uh, you're a Broncos fan. Um that was a national T V game. Uh, 93, the Broncos, uh, went nine and seven and 
weren't tremendous. They were very mediocre, in fact. The Wade Phillips years, uh, after they, he had hired, been hired Lloyd Bolin, only because he did, if he hired Mike Shanahan, uh, it would have looked terrible, considering the circumstances of uh, Shanahan's um, departure from Denver. Um, and I, we were watching that because you know the Broncos weren't going to were in the playoffs. They 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 had to play the Raiders three three times that year, and they they played them the last game of the season and the game in the, the first game of the playoffs, uh, and both were not to the Broncos' satisfaction. But the early game was the the Giants versus the uh, Cowboys, and uh, it was a nail biter. If the Giants won that game, they probably get farther in the playoffs. Uh, they they win their wild wild card game against the Vikings and then they uh, folded against the Niners, but then it kind of went downhill for Reeves after that. And we all know what's happening with the Broncos. The two Wade Phillips years, the nineteen ninety four was by far the worst year of the nineties, uh, other than nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety nine. The Broncos were seven and nine and started zero and four that year. They lost a heartbreaking game to the uh, San Diego Chargers, the first game of the '94 uh, season. Um, but that year is the famous Elway Marie, uh, Montana Monday Night Football game with the Chiefs, which is one of the the great games of all time on Monday Night Football. But Shanahan comes in, and here's where I put the the perception of Reeves. And if Shanahan gets hired right after Reeves is fired, um, history looks more unkind on Mike Shanahan um, and John Elway. Um, Reeves ended up being fired after the 92 season um, when it was basically out in the open that it was a me or him kind of thing. And Elway did not play very I mean... His stats were incredible, the two Wade Phillips years. But the Broncos were just a mediocre as hell team. And in 94, you could you could probably say they were really bad. They went on a run at the end of the year. Um, they went from 0-4 to 7-9. and um, You know, so they went 7-5 uh, and the rest of the, of the season. But they, they weren't a great team by any stretch. In fact, they were pretty bad. Um, Shanahan comes in, the Broncos go 8-8. Eight and eight. And they were okay. But there was several years, three years of, excuse me, four years, if you count the late Reeves' last year, of complete mediocrity. And, but if Shanahan doesn't come in in 95, instead of, and instead of being hired in, if, if, if Shanahan's hired in 93 instead of 95, history looks at them differently. Because I don't know if that Broncos team had what it took. And even if Shanahan was in there running things, I just don't think he would. He needed that two years with Wade Phillips to take a lot of the slings and arrows. Shanahan gets hired after he spends some time and is the offensive coordinator of the 94 uh, um, San Francisco team. That won the Super Bowl with uh, Steve Young, at quarterback, and Deion Sanders and Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice's last real hurrah. Um... That team, uh, and John Taylor, and you know, the greats from uh, San Francisco. 
but that's really the last hurrah of the San Francisco the, 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 of the San Francisco era. That's the last hurrah, and that was Mike Shanahan. So he comes in, basically incorporates the Reeves offense into the West Coast offense, <clears throat> and it becomes a new thing. And the reason the Reeves offense was incorporated into the West Coast offense is because of John Elway. And this is something that I need to stress to people. This is why people need to look more fondly a bit on Dan Reeves. It was, yes, there was a three cloud, three yards in a cloud of dust with Sammy Winder as the, as the running back. The Broncos ran a lot under Mike Shanahan. As we all know, that was a ball control, short passing, but a primarily run the ball offense. And the problem in the Reeves era was, was it was a power running scheme with two, I mean, it was, you had Sammy Winder and the best running back uh, backs that they had in that era, with no offense, to, with, you know, due respect to Sammy Winder, was Bobby Humphrey for one year, and Gaston Green, and Gaston Green was a cast off from the Los Angeles Rams, but there was a, there was a, the, the Broncos just kind of were, did a thing with under Elway, and Elway kind of acknowledged this in his, his. Uh, statement today is that the Reeves had to had to had to kind of rein John in because John, I think people have misremembered it. Elway threw a ton of interceptions, ton of interceptions, and a lot of it was because he would force the ball into situations he didn't need to. Um, the Broncos ran a lot of trick plays, but they were pretty conservative under Reeves, I, I guess. But Elway got to throw the improvise the ball a lot, and that, he was given that freedom by by Reeves, which you saw later when Reeves had Michael Vick, and basically let Michael Vick run all over the place. Um, that that he he enjoyed that sort of thing. Uh, Roger Staubach used to do the same thing, so you could see the lineage from El, you know Staubach to Elway to to Michael Vick. But the reason. Shanahan incorporates the the Dallas offense, which is what Reeves, Reeves ran, in in with the West Coast thing, is because Elway was comfortable running it. Um, Jim Fossil came in with Wade Phillips and installed a nothing but West Coast offense. It was the lineage of of Bill Walsh via Jim Fossil, and it was okay. You know, I mean, Elway put up a bunch of stats that year, but they didn't translate to anything. Shanahan comes in and does the West Coast thing, but there's a couple things that the Broncos did in that era that were different from the West Coast Conference. The pitchback, cut, one cut, zone blocking thing. The zone blocking thing came from uh, the Walsh offense. The uh, pitchback, one cut, came from the Dallas offense. Um, the, 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 the jet sweeps the Broncos would run, that came from the Dallas offense. It was a hybrid, but it was really due to that, that it was made it Elway more comfortable in what Shanahan was running. So in the grand scheme of things, history comes full circle and the Broncos second Super Bowl, they place, they, they face a, a overachieving Atlanta team that's coached by Dan Reeves. And in the ultimate denouement, 
uh, obviously that Atlanta team never had a chance. Uh, the Broncos were much better, and I'm sure that they were very happy they weren't playing the 15-1 and uh, Minnesota Vikings. Um, but the the Broncos uh, defeat Reeves, and before that, Reeves just went on a big and I'm, this is this is something people forget. Reeves went on a big rant in his big uh, media availability presser about Mike Shanahan specifically. And then Shanahan obviously responded. It was it was one of those things. But you, it was a catharsis for Reeves to just kind of let it all out in the open. He probably regretted doing it. Um, Broncos win 39-19. to And it really wasn't that close. Um, that, that was just not a very good Atlanta team. Uh, it was a mirror of what the Broncos achieved. But in the grand scheme of things, yes, these, these Broncos teams weren't tremendous but they were good. They were really good with a great quarterback and a guy who coached his teams to overachieve. And you saw that with the Broncos and you saw that with the Atlanta Falcons. And you saw that when he got Michael Vick and the Atlanta Falcons went into Green Bay and beat the Packers uh, the first time. I believe it was the historic because it was the first time a road team had beaten the Packers uh, in the month of December, I think, or something crazy like that in the playoffs. Uh, really a big achievement. Vic gets injured. Reeves gets fired in, in 2002, and the rest is history. Reeves never coaches again. But I think we as Broncos fans have let our history be colored by the success that the Broncos had in the late 90s. Yes, you could say that Reeves and Elway, the relationship was not great, and obviously Reeves trying to trade for Tommy Maddox, or excuse me, trying to trade Elway and then drafting Tommy Maddox in 1992 was the ultimate, there can be no return from this moment. Okay, that, and that was it. Um, Reeves made a mistake there. And if, if he doesn't draft Tommy Maddox and he doesn't try to kind of trade uh, Elway to the Washington Redskins, Reeves probably was still the coach going into the mid-90s, which is crazy to think about. For all his faults and his stubbornness and the things that came up, Reeves was a good coach, and you can't deny it. Um, what he did without the Broncos and with uh, the Giants and the Falcons and even his first two years as a Broncos coach speak for itself. And I think we as Broncos fans can probably finally look back at the Reeves era from 81 to 92 and think of it as a really a, a, a classic era, maybe one of the most classic eras of the Broncos. And how re- remember how exciting it was. And maybe have some appreciation of Reeves as a coach. He's a ring of famer, should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got 200 wins if you combine playoffs. And 201 runs. And it, it, he, the man deserves, as you would say nowadays, the man deserves his flowers. And I think that will get even more if we just if we kind of sit back and acknowledge it and say, like, there's a great time, appreciate his time as a Broncos coach and understand that, yeah, it was great. And yes, the marriage between Reeves and L.A. wasn't tremendous, but it gave us a lot of success and it really gave us a magical time in Broncos history. All right. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode.
Goodbye.